Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. All right. I don't know why my wife tells me to take a different mic. She kisses me with that mouth, so <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm. I'm really not sure if taking a different mic will. <laughs> Okay, let's. Uh, I, I don't. I'm not going to have any scriptures up on the screen. So if you have your Bible here or your smartphone, just open up with me at Luke chapter three. Um, I'm just going to be going through a couple of chapters um, of Luke three and just looking at a th- at a theme uh, that is that is prominent in those uh, passages. And uh, yeah, for, for those of you who've been with us the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we're doing a Christmas challenge where we started on the 1st of December with Luke chapter 1, and we're reading a chapter of Luke's gospel every day. Of course, Luke has 24 chapters, so a chapter a day, and then we'll finish just before Christmas on the 24th of December. And the idea is to read a, a chapter a day together, uh, Luke chapter 1 on the 1st, today is what, the f- so we should be on Luke chapter 5, those of you who have been doing it. Those who haven't, you still have time to catch up. You know, like we used to say when I was... Okay. Siri, Siri also wants to do the Christmas challenge with us. <laughs> um, we used to say at, at, at university, it's very important to fall behind early because the earlier you fall behind, the more time you have to catch up again. Okay, <laughs> so, so if that's part of your philosophy, you know, and you've already fallen behind, you, still have, you have a lot of time to catch up. <laughs> um, yeah, well, so, so the idea is just really as we read through Luke together, just in preparation of a time of year when a lot of people think about Jesus, even a lot of people who don't usually think about Jesus, Um, Many people will come to church on Christmas Day that never come to church on any other day of the year. Um, And many families will, you know, even read from the Bible or pray together around Christmas that usually won't do that. So it's a a wonderful opportunity to just, you know, talk about the Lord. You know, we we know that Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December. I mean, we do all know that, right? I mean, he was born in the Northern Hemisphere, um, and if, you re- if you've been reading Luke, uh, I think in chapter 2, it talks about uh, the shepherds who are out in the field, sleeping out in the field. Um, when the angels come and, and sing to them, the angel choir and announce the birth of Jesus to them. Now, obviously, the 25th of December in the northern hemisphere is the opposite from the southern hemisphere. It's summer here with us, but it's winter there, and it will be snowing. So the, the, the shepherds were only out in the field with their sheep, during the summertime when it was warm enough. When it was cold during the winter, they would go back to the crawl and sleep in their houses and, you know, take the sheep out to the field, you know. But they wouldn't sleep in the field with the sheep. So we know it it, it couldn't have been winter, you know. It it must have been some other time of the year, probably summer or maybe, you know, fall or something like that. Okay, but, you know, be that as it may, Christmas is still a wonderful time when families can get together and can talk about Jesus, and can talk about what Jesus did. And, and, and this is just, this Christmas challenge is just filling up our hearts with the story of Jesus, the, the, the narrative that Luke wrote for us about Jesus. And one of the important things that, that, I, that I think Luke wants us to see is that part of this journey, because he, he, he maps out 
his narrative, his historic narrative of Jesus in the form of journeys. Firstly, the journey of Jesus from heaven to earth into humanity, chapter 1 and 2. And then in chapter 3 to, you know, sort of towards the end of chapter 9, is the journey through Galilee, where Jesus is, is journeying, you know, through Nazareth and the rest of Galilee, his public ministry. And it's a journey of revelation from Jesus' side, but a journey of discovery from the disciples' side. Because it's a journey where the disciples discover, little by little, who Jesus is. Where little by little, it's revealed who he is. And it's, it's a very important journey that all of us have to go on. And one of the important things I, I think that we need to see is, no matter where we are in our journey with Jesus, whether you're, um, you know, still, whether you don't believe in Jesus yet, and you're still sort of journeying towards belief in him and you're still sort of figuring out who Jesus is and whether you want to trust him as, as, as your Lord and Savior and follow him or whether you've been following him for many years. As, it's as you walk with him that you discover who he is. It's as you journey with him, as you're with him on this journey that you discover who he is. So it's not like you get born again and then all of a sudden you know Jesus perfectly and you're like this, you know. <laughs> and you know everything about Jesus. I mean, part of what we're going to see is that Jesus is God. And when you try and fit an infinite God into a finite mind and heart, you discover certain problems. You discover that the container is a little bit too small to contain all of that. Jesus is a person, but he's an infinite person. So you'll be discovering new things about Jesus for the rest of eternity. That's good news because the good news is you'll never get bored with him. You might get bored with your friends. You might even get bored with your spouse. You might get bored with your parents. But you'll never get bored with Jesus because there's always more of him to discover. So one of the things I want you to see uh, and, and then you'll see um, when, when Louis shares next week, you know, chapter 9 to 19 is the journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. And Luke uses that to talk about the journey of discipleship, how we should respond to Jesus. And then chapter 19 to 24, the end of the gospel, is, is Jesus' journey back. It, it's sort of his, his journey back into heaven, his journey to the throne, as it were. So let, let's, we're going to focus on, on chapter 3 to, to 9. And... Um, yeah, I just want to do a little bit of a helicopter flight over that, over that passage and just sort of lift out a few, pass, a few verses. And, and that's why I want you to follow with me in your Bible. Um, I'm not going to say too much about them, but I'm going to touch on quite a few different verses. That just, I just want you to see the theme and, and how Luke intentionally, every now and again, he, start, he lifts out. A lot of things happen. But, but, but Luke uses those things that happen to try and lift out to us and to emphasize to us who Jesus is. And that's a very, very important thing that we need to discover. We, we need to discover who Jesus is, but then we also need to discover what he means by what he is. And we need to respond appropriately to that. Because we cannot respond appropriately to Jesus if we don't know who he is. If we have a misconception about who he is, we cannot respond appropriately. Now, You know, I've, I've heard many people say to me, you know, this is who God is to me. I like to think of God as 
fill in the blank. And I just want to caution us. That's no way of getting to know someone by deciding who you want them to be. (laughs) Have you tried that with your friends? Have you tried that with your spouse? Have you tried that with your children? I like to think of you, Rochelle, as, (laughs) you know, whatever. If I try and tell her who I want her to be, I'm not open for her to reveal to me who she really is. And I'm going to, what I'm going to get to know is not who she really is, but I'm going to get to know, I'm just going to reinforce my preconceptions about her. And I'm going to miss out on who she really is. And then I'm not going to respond to her appropriately because I'm not going to respond to her based on who she really is, but on who I want her to be, who I think she needs to be. Um, I, I remember a couple of months back, might, might have been more than a year ago, we were sitting around the dinner table, and um, I can't remember what led up to it, but um, Ethan, Ethan was going through, sort of through a phase where he was very possessive about his mom, you know, and, and, and you know, he wouldn't even want me to kiss her, you know, <laughs> he'd sort of come in between and like push me away, and it's, you know, it's his mom, you know, <laughs> kids go through a phase like that. And then, of course, you know, I'd, I'd sort of, you know, intentionally irritate him by, by doing that. And, 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 and I was saying to him, because I think he said something like, no, she's my mama. And I, and I said, remember, Ethan, she was my wife before she was your mom. And he, he was like, no, you know, he was like offended. No, she's my mama. <laughs> and Kirsten also caught on and said, no, but remember, she was my mama before she was your mama because I was born first. It was like, no, you're my mama. <laughs> and we all started jumping on the bandwagon and teasing Ethan. And he was like, no, it was really getting angry. Like, no, she's my mama, you know. And, um, you, know, I, 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 you know, afterwards when I was thinking about it, I was, I was thinking about how we often allow who we need God to be to us to blind us to the depth and breadth of who God is. Not only to us, but to everyone around us. Um, and, and I just want to, I, I think this, this passage sort of helps us to, to say, let's not make that mistake. Let's see who Jesus really is. Not just who we need him to be or who we want him to be, but let's be open to, for him to reveal who he really is. Okay, so in chapter 3, it starts off with, with John the Baptist um, and, uh, you know, his ministry, but, but the crux of his ministry was to introduce Jesus. His father even said so in the previous chapters. He will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And, and, and listen to what he says in, in verse 15 of, of Luke chapter 3. He says, the people were waiting expectantly and, all, and, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them. So what John says here is in answer to their expectation that maybe he's the Messiah. Okay? The word Messiah means anointed king. Uh, John answered them, I baptize with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into the barn, and to bur- he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. And, and we see here he's saying, I'm not the Messiah. Here's how you can know I'm not the Messiah. 
When the Messiah comes, he's more powerful than me. He's greater than me. He's so much greater than me that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal straps. Uh, and, and what he's referring to there is you would untie someone's sandal straps when they came to visit you. You'd un- a slave would untie their sandal straps so that their feet could be washed. I mean, you walk through the dirt. I mean, it was dirt roads. They weren't like piped sewage systems, so you just took the sewage and threw it out into the road, and, you know, when it rained, it sort of washed away. So it was, you know, when you were walking around with sandals, you know, in Middle Eastern heat, you got sweaty feet, you got sort of stinky feet, you know, with walking through all the dust and the sewage and the yuckiness, okay? And when you had to sit at table, you sat not on chairs, but on the, on the floor with your legs sort of, you know, next to the person next to you, sort of behind, slightly behind and next to. So, you know, your feet were in close proximity to where the eating was done. So you had to sort of wash your feet, you know, if you still wanted an appetite, you know, <laughs> when you sat next to people. And, and, and Jewish law, the, the, the rabbi said that washing someone's dirty feet was such a menial job that not even a Jewish slave was allowed to do it. Only Gentile slaves may do it. And here comes John the Baptist and he says, the one who is to come, the, the Messiah, the real Messiah, is so much greater than me that I'm not even worthy to un- untie his you know, sandal straps and wash his feet. You know, that is how much greater he is than me. And he says, but here's how you'll know that he's the Messiah because there's something that he can do that no one else can do. I baptize you with water. Anyone can baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and he's the only one who can baptize in the Holy Spirit. So the word Messiah means anointed king. And the anointed king is anointed with the Holy Spirit, and he's the only one who can baptize in the Holy Spirit. And there are two groups whom we will baptize. There are two baptisms, baptism in fire and baptism in the Holy Spirit. And there are two groups, the wheat who are baptized in the Holy Spirit and the chaff who are baptized in fire. And he has two baptisms with which he separates humanity. Those who are the wheat who believe in him now are baptized in the Holy Spirit now. Those who are the chaff who don't believe in him are baptized in fire later. But you're going to experience one of his baptisms. He's going to baptize you. (laughs) He's going to baptize you. He's either going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit or he's going to baptize you in fire. That's it. You're either wheat or you're chaff. Those are the only two options. Those Those are the only two groups. And he's the one who separates those two groups. And he separates them with his baptisms. Okay, so already can you see how he's starting to reveal who this, who the, who, who this Messiah is? Then in, in, in verse 22, it says, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And we see the Father announcing who Jesus is. Jesus getting baptized in the Jordan like everyone else. The Holy Spirit coming down on him like a dove. And he's the, after David, the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David, were the first who were not only baptized, who were not only anointed with oil, but who, who the Bible explicitly says the Holy Spirit came upon them. After that, the kings were anointed with oil, but the Bible never says that the Holy Spirit came upon them. Until this day, when the son of David was baptized in water and the Holy Spirit came down upon him in bodily form like a dove. 
And the father spoke from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And think of it. He's the only person of whom that could be said. Firstly, he's the only one of whom the father could say, you are my son. He's the only one of whom the father could say, I'm well pleased with you. Because he was perfect. He kept the law perfectly. And now, of course, we know that in him, looking back, the father can be well pleased with us. Not because we're perfect, because we, but because we're in him who is perfect. Um, so the father announced, to, uh, we is, I mean, there's a lot more going on there. And then, then we have Jesus' genealogy. Um, I'm not going to read through that, don't worry. But you see, if you read through it, it goes through David. He's the son of David. He goes through Abraham. He's the seed of Abraham. And it goes all the way back to Adam. And Jesus is the second Adam. And it ends off by saying, the son of Adam, the son of God. He's the son of Adam, son of, in the sense of, descendant of, son of Adam and the son of God. Uh, and, and even the genealogy reveals who he is. And then in chapter 4, we see just after he's baptized, he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And how does the devil tempt him? You guys have been reading this. You know. How does he tempt him? What does he, what does he say? If you are the Son of God. Exactly. He tempts him in the very thing that the Father has just established. The Father says, you are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What does the devil do? If you are the Son of God. Just a tip. What the devil did to Jesus, he does to us. <laughs> if God speaks to you and tells you something, the devil's going to tempt you and question it. And tempt you to doubt it and say, did God really say that? Okay? If you are the son of God, and it tempts him and it tests him in the very area of his identity. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And then in verse 9, um, he says the same thing, uh, a similar thing. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from, from the temple, for it is written. And Jesus' identity has been questioned so much because who he is is all important. And the fact that there is even today, today, such a Massive debate about who Jesus is. Did he really exist? Was he just a human prophet? Was he just a good man? Was he the Messiah? Is he really the Son of God? Tells you that how important it is and how much the devil is still working to try and bring confusion around who Jesus is. You ask Muslims who Jesus is, they'll give you a very different answer than if you ask Christians. You ask typical nominal Christians who are Christian in name, only who Jesus is, and they might give you a very different answer again. You ask a skeptic or, or, or a humanist or an atheist, you'll get a different answer. Um, but there's a massive debate. And, and then Jesus goes, in the power of the Spirit, he goes to Nazareth in, in, in chapter 4. And again, the question of who he is comes up. Because he's, he's preaching in the synagogue, and, and, and it says... All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words and they came, uh, that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. In other words, he grew up amongst us here in Nazareth. Isn't this Joseph's son? In fact, there might be a little bit of a um, sort of a sarcastic spin on that, you know. 
where, where, where they're actually saying, nah, we're not even really sure if Joseph is his father. <laughs> because we know, we can count, we know, you know, he was born before. Or, you know, if you do the math, you know, and you, you sort of... <laughs> he, he was born before he was supposed to be born, you know. Something wasn't right there. We know, you know, we're a small town. Small town people know everything about one another. And isn't this Joseph's son? And again, it's Jesus' identity that comes into question. Um, and then if you go on, uh, it, it says, um, he, he, he casts out an impure spirit in, in verse 31 to, to 37. And, and notice what the, the, the impure spirit says to him. Uh, um, he cried at the, at, at, at the top of uh, his voice, Go away, what uh, have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Again, it's his identity. I know who you are. And I'm clearly the evil spirits are terrified of him because of who he is. And you can imagine the disciples standing by and hearing this, hearing this evil spirit speak through this man, maybe in a strange voice, being terrified, but hearing the terror of the thing that terrifies them, hearing how terrified it is of Jesus. And what does that reveal to them about who he is? And to us about who he is. And then it says Jesus healed uh, many. Um, and it says, moreover, demons came out of them. This is in verse 41. Out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Now, that's, that's a bit confusing to us. Like, they're giving the right answer here. They're saying that he's the Messiah. It's the right answer. Why is he silencing them? Why, doesn't he, why, why is he rebuking them and commanding them to be quiet? Well, as we'll see later, Israel had a very wrong conception about what the Messiah was. They're thinking military Messiah is going to deliver us from Roman oppression. And he didn't want the, them to know who he is, the right answer of who he is, but the wrong, fill it in with the wrong content. He's not a military messiah, not, not in, in his first coming, maybe in his second coming, but in his first coming he's going to be the suffering messiah. Um, and so he, he, he didn't want, uh, want them to... And, and isn't it true that so many people today, even if they know the right things about Jesus, they know it in the wrong way. Even if they say Jesus is the son of God, they might mean it in a very religious way. Not in the way Jesus intended it. Even if they mean Jesus is, the, even if they say Jesus is the Messiah, or, or Jesus is my Lord, what does that mean? Oh, to them it might mean I go to church on Sundays and I sing a few songs to him and I pay tithes to him and I do my little devotion, but I don't follow him in all of life. And then in, in, in chapter 5, it says Jesus called his first disciples. Um, and when he calls Peter, Peter, uh, he goes on Peter's boat and, you know, the, the crowd is sort of crushing him. So he goes on Peter's boat, goes out a little way from the shore, and then he sits down and he teaches the crowd. And then he says to Peter, okay, now go into the deep waters and throw out the net for catch. And Peter says, listen, we've been trying all night, record nothing, but because you say so, we'll do it. And then we know the story. There's such a massive catch that the boat almost starts to sink and they have to call their partners in to come and help them. And what does Peter do? How does Peter respond? And, and remember, this, 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 this Luke's gospel doesn't only try and tell us who Jesus is, but how we should respond. 
And he says, Peter said, it says, Peter fell at, his, uh, at uh, Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He's so overwhelmed by who Jesus is that he's just like, Lord, I can't handle this. And Jesus says, don't, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Um, for, he had, for he and all his companions were, were astonished at the catch of fish. Um, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they uh, pulled their boats um, on the shore and, every, and left everything and followed him. And that's obviously how Jesus wants us to respond to his. If he is who he reveals himself to be, how should we respond? Through repentance, like Peter, and through following him. That's how we should respond to him. And then um, uh, it, it talks about in, in, in chapter 5, verse 15, yet news about him, it, it's, it's about the guy with the leprosy who... Um, who Jesus healed, and it says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Um, so the news about uh, who he is spread. And then, then we have Jesus forgiving the paralyzed man. We, have, we know the story about how his friends brought him. He couldn't walk, so his friends carried him and opened the, the roof of the house. Very famous story, and then let him down because they, they couldn't get into the press of the crowd through, uh, into the house. So they let him down, and you can just imagine, you know, people listening to Jesus, and all of a sudden they hear this doof, doof on the roof. You know, and you see dust falling, and then doof, doof, and all of a sudden, you know, someone rips you know, the, 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 the roof open, you know, and starts, you know, and it's just dust falling everywhere, and like people are like, what's going on here? You know, and there's a hole in the roof with, with light shining through, and people start, you know, dropping this, this bed through, you know, lowering it on, on ropes. And then Jesus says something. He says, your sins are forgiven. And listen to how the Pharisees respond. It says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, this is in verse 21, the teachers of the law began, to think, uh, think, began thinking to themselves. They didn't even actually say anything. They were just thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And it says, then Jesus, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? But n notice again, the question is, who is this? Okay, it's, it's in a negative way that it's with, who does this fellow think he is, you know, that he thinks he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And then not only does Jesus know what they're thinking, but he answers what they're thinking. And he says, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth, not only to heal but to forgive sins. I say to you, and he says to the paralyzed man, get up and walk. And he walks. In other words, what is, what, what, what is he saying to these skeptical Pharisees and teachers of the law? What I said was not blasphemy, because yes, actually I am God. You're right, only God can forgive sins. Now, now you might say, no, but, but hang on, you know, if someone sins against me, I can forgive them. Yes, but that's the thing. You can forgive people who have sinned against you. But who can forgive all sins? God. Because all sins are against God ultimately. No matter against who else they were. Okay, and then he, he calls um, and he, uh, he, he calls Levi and, and eats um, with him. And, and in verse 31, Jesus answered them. Because the, they were, the, tax, uh, the Pharisees were again saying he eats with tax collectors and sinners. And he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's revealing that he's a doctor. He's come for those who are broken, who are sick, who are diseased, who are infected with the virus of sin, and who are showing all the symptoms, who are not social distancing, and they're not wearing their masks. (laughs) And they're infecting one another with a sin virus, which is deadly. It has a 100% mortality rate, worse than COVID. (laughs) And he says, I've come to be a doctor to those. Okay? Uh, And then then he goes on, and and, and, um, the Pharisees complaining that, you know, the the disciples of John the Baptist fast and so on and pray, but but Jesus' disciples don't fast. And then, then Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and then they will fast. So he's saying, I'm the bridegroom. I'm the bridegroom. In other words, the, the um, what do you call it? The covenant will be made with me. The marriage covenant will be made with me. I'm the one who will consummate it. And then in chapter 6, we, we see that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, he says, because a lot of things happen here on the Sabbath. The, 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 his disciples are eating grain on the Sabbath, and he heals someone on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are again upset about it. And then he says, the Son of Man, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, he's the one who instituted the Sabbath. And he's the one who can tell you how to keep the Sabbath. Don't argue with him about the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath. <laughs> and we know that God was the one in Genesis. Beginning of chapter 2, he instituted the Sabbath. So what is Jesus saying about himself? He's saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I created the Sabbath. I'm God. I'm the God of creation. Um, then he calls the 12 apostles, and he speaks blessing and woes um, over, you know, blessed are, are the poor and woe to the rich. And, and what he's doing there is he's reconstituting Israel. He chose 12 disciples because there are 12 tribes in Israel, and the 12 Apostles symbolize the new reconstituted Israel, the new 12 tribes. So he's not, he's not only saying, I'm the one who originally created Israel. I'm now the one, he's also saying, I'm now the one who's recreating Israel. And I'm telling you that Israel's values are upside down. It's an upside down kingdom. Blessed are the rich. Oh, blessed are the poor. The world says blessed is the rich. Jesus says, no, blessed are the poor. He says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Blessed are you when they persecute you. So the values of the kingdom is upside down. He's, he's not only one that recreates the kingdom and, and reconstitutes Israel, but he, he tells us, he gives um, us our true values. Then you, then you go on and he, he talks about loving your enemies. Do to others, in verse 31, as you would have them do unto you. And then he says, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. And he's, he's saying, this is how my father am. And, and by implication, he's saying, this is how I am. I am merciful. I am kind to those who are ungrateful and wicked. I am generous to those who are my enemies. And Go, and, go you and do likewise. And it's re- revealing who Jesus is. And then in um, verse uh, 
39, it says, we are, uh, it told the parable, can the blind lead the blind? Uh, if, if, if they do, they will both fall into the pit. Uh, the student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And, and he's, he's once again telling us how to respond to him. He's saying, listen, I'm the teacher, you are the students, become like me. Follow me. Now, following Jesus is not just going in the same direction as him. It's, in other words, following his lifestyle. Okay? You don't become like Jesus just on the outside. Like, I'm going to grow a Jesus beard and grow my hair long and have nice long Jesus hair and wear Jesus sandals. That's not what it means to be Jesus' disciples. Not coming, becoming like him on the outside. It's becoming like him on the inside. Loving like he loves, loving your enemies, being kind like he is kind, becoming like him as, as the teacher. And then he says in verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? He says the danger of knowing who I am is knowing the right thing about who I am, knowing that I am Lord, but not treating me as Lord. Once you know who I am, you've got to respond to me in a way that is appropriate to who I am. You've got to treat me like a am Lord. It doesn't mean, it doesn't help you just say I'm Lord. Um, then we have the, the portion where, where, where he raises um, Jairus' daughter, the, oh, the, the centurion. He raises the centurion's servant and, and, and heals, heals him. Let me um, skip that. He raises the, the widow's son. Um, it says, when the Lord saw her, this is in chapter 7, verse 13, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. And then uh, in verse 16 it says, uh, they were all filled um, in awe and praised God when he raised this, this um, dead man from the, from the dead. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And news about Jesus spread. And, and again he's revealing who he is. John's, um, John's disciples uh, this is John, uh, John the Baptist questioning who Jesus is. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he, he sent them to the Lord uh, to ask, are you the one who is to come or shall we expect another? So here, here we have John the Baptist who announced Jesus saying, listen, who are you? And, and, and we can sometimes, even if we, like John the Baptist, committed followers of Christ, we can sometimes doubt who Jesus is. And what Jesus says to him, go, and go back to John and tell him what, what you see. The sick are healed, the blind see, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who does not stumble because of me. Um, then, you know, it goes on and, and um, let me just see. He, he is anointed by this... Um, by the sinful woman, the, 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 the prostitute lady. He's eating with a, a Pharisee. This lady comes into his house. She anoints his feet. And the other guests began to say, because he also again says, your sins are forgiven. Who is this man who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So again, the question is, not only what does Jesus do? He does miracles. He knows things that he's not supposed to know. He preaches the gospel, but all of that is pulled together and all of that points to who he is. And that's what we really need to see. And then there's the parable of the sower and, and it just reveals four different ways of responding to Jesus. The, the pathway, the hard-hearted response, 
the seed that falls amongst the uh, stones, the, the, the shallow-hearted response, because it comes up, but then it dies when the sun shines. The, the, the seed that throws it, falls amongst the thorns and thistles, the half-hearted response, because the cares of this world chokes it. And then the seed that falls into the good soil, the whole-hearted response. And that's, that's the response that we need to have uh, towards Jesus. And, and it, it says, you know, be like a lamp on a lampstand. Don't, don't hide your light. Um, and then he talks about his brothers and sisters and his mother's, mother who question his identity or, or question his sanity. And, and then he says, who's my brother's mother and brothers uh, but those who hear the word of God and who put it into practice? And then um, Jesus calms the storm. And how did the disciples respond when he calms the storm? Great fear comes upon them and they say, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this man? Okay, and then we again have him healing a demon-possessed man, and the demons again know who he is. And then just um, in, um, in chapter 9, I just want to end off with this. I mean, there's, there's, uh, Jesus um, sends out the 12 to go and t- tell who he is. Then he feeds the 5,000, which says he's like Moses. He's a prophet like Moses. And then comes the crux, the end of the section where it, 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 in chapter 9, verse 18. Once... When Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? They answered, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, or, one, uh, or still others that one of the prophets of long ago have come back to life. But, he, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. Now, here's the point. When... The question who who Jesus is and who we say he is is probably the most important question we'll ever have to answer. Whether you're part of the chaff or part of the wheat, it depends on your answer to that question. Who do you say Jesus is? And it's not good enough to know the general opinion out there. Who do the crowds say that he is? Because there's lots of different opinions. And almost all of them are wrong. (laughs) Jesus through his word, and Luke, through the word, reveals to us who Jesus really is. But then we see even that is not good enough, because Peter says, you are God's Messiah, but he doesn't know what that means. Then Jesus starts to reveal, but I must suffer and die. I'm a suffering Messiah, and you have to take up your cross, even as I'm going to be crucified, you have to take up your cross and follow me. And then just in closing, I'm not going to, you don't have to read it now, but if, if you go and read in chapter 24, he's walking with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they don't recognize him. And it's a picture of us. So often we walk with Jesus and we don't recognize him for who he really is. When did they recognize him for who he really is? You remember? It's when he sat down with him and broke bread with him. You see, when you see Jesus on the cross, broken for you, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you, It's only through the cross that you can recognize Jesus for who he really is. And where you can truly answer the question that he asks his disciples here, who do you say that I am? Not only with the right answer, but with the right meaning. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed king. And that was what was written on his cross. The king of the Jews. And he had a crown of thorns on his head. You are the anointed king who came to die for your subjects, to save them from their sins. 
And I mean, at the beginning of that journey, the, 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 those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they would look all down and they said, you know, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Not knowing that he was the one and that he did redeem Israel, but in a way that they didn't expect. Allow Jesus to surprise you with who he is. Don't think to yourself, I know Jesus. As you read through the Gospel of Luke, allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart and to surprise you and to amaze you with who Jesus is again. So that you respond like the disciples and say, who is this man? Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this man that even forgives sins? Who is this man that has come to even die for me? For me? Who is this man that can love his enemies so much? Who is this man? Amen. Let's stand. Just want you to close your eyes. Just focus on the Lord. Maybe just lift your hands just in a gesture of surrender and just say, Holy Spirit, just help me, Lord, not just to know the, the correct answer about who Jesus is, but to, to be so impacted in my heart that I can respond correctly, appropriately to who Jesus really is. Just in your own words. Yes, Lord, we... We confess, Lord God, that we so easily get, get, get the answer and the response to who you are so wrong, Lord. So, so often we become like John the Baptist. Lord, we get offended. We get offended at you because you don't, you don't do what we think you ought to be doing. Lord, and, 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 and we feel like John the Baptist sitting in prison and saying, but... You know, I, I was the one who announced Jesus. I was the world, one who told the world who he was. And, and now he's just leaving me to rot here in prison while he's out there, you know, gathering disciples. Why doesn't he do what I think he ought to do? Or we become like Jesus' mother and brothers where familiarity breeds contempt, Lord. And in, we, we, we so easily become familiar with you. Lord, forgive us, Lord, for becoming familiar with you. Forgive us, Lord, for becoming offended with you when you don't do what we think you ought to do. Forgive us, Lord, for, for trying to impose our idea of who we think you should be or who we need you to be on you rather than just accepting who you are. Help us, Lord, to accept you for who you really are. Help us to respond to you, to who you really are. Lord, we, we just want to, Lord, in our hearts, just fall down before you like Peter and say, Lord, we are sinful people, Lord. We don't even deserve to be around you. But thank you, Lord, that like Peter, Lord, you call us and say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And that is what we want to do, Lord. Thank you that you love us so much that you gave your life for us. so that you can be God's Messiah to us 
and save us, redeem us from our sins. We just honor you and praise you. Just in your own words, just thank Jesus for who he is and for what he's done in your life. I just sense the Holy Spirit saying that, that some of us, we're sort of, we sort of seeing who Jesus is, but we know that our heart's response is not appropriate. It's, it's not sufficient. And it's, it's as though we, we've been dulled. And, and I just sense, it, it's, it's like, the Holy, it's, I just feel the Holy Spirit say it's like, like we've, we've drunk too much wine and our senses have been dulled. And, and I just, I just sense the Holy Spirit is saying we, we're drinking of the wine of this world and it's dulling our senses. We must drink of the wine of the Spirit, metaphorically speaking, and it will sharpen our senses. And, and if you relate in, in any way to that, I just want you to respond and just say, Lord, I repent of drinking of the wine of this world. I want to drink of the, the new wine of the Spirit. Please sharpen my senses so that I can respond appropriately. Yes, Lord, we just come to you and we, we know, Lord, that we cannot know, Lord Jesus, who you are unless you reveal it to us through your Holy Spirit. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that rather than getting drunk on the wine of, the, uh, of this world, that we will get drunk on you, Lord Holy Spirit, that we'll constantly be filled with you, Lord Holy Spirit, and that you will sharpen our spiritual senses so we can see and taste and feel who Jesus is and respond appropriately, that it will touch our hearts in the way it ought to. Lord, we just consecrate ourselves to you and we just say, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. In Jesus' name. Be that still small voice that whispers to us. In Jesus' name. We just surrender ourselves to you, Lord. And, and Lord, like the disciples, Lord, like you sent out the disciples and said to them, Go, announce the good news of the kingdom, that the king is here. And that he's a gracious and a good king that forgives and that loves. Go and announce that good news. And we pray, Lord, that as we go, that that good news will be on our lips, on our hearts as well. And that we'll also be able to announce it to this world that needs to hear it so desperately. Lord, I just bless your saints as they go. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.